Talking Heads is brought to you by the SeatGeek app, the easiest way to find a great deal. Pay for your ticket and get to your seat. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our code TALKING for $20 off your first purchase. We're also sponsored by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter promo code TALKING at FanDuel.com for a bonus match of up to $200. The Mets choked in every way, shape, and form, but for some reason that's not the narrative. Have we gone soft on New York? I mean, who feels empathy for the teams of Gotham after they fall to tiny little Kansas City? We do. You know who might have written about this eloquently? Grantland. But they won't, which no matter what town you call home is really worth grieving. And welcome into Talking Heads, Bram Weinstein in my basement in Connecticut. Mark Stern is in Washington, D.C. Hello, Mark. Hello, Bram. <laughs> How are you, man? Are you um are you sad about Grantland going away? I am. I am sad. Uh listen, I'm a big fan of Bill Simmons. I, I was a fan of his before he became Bill Simmons when he was just writing for Boston.com like a hundred yes. years ago. And I thought it was a great idea. But when, when Bill left ESPN, I thought that the writing was on the wall that this thing might be going away. But I you know, I don't understand how the business model might work or what needs to happen to make that a viable you know, success for, for somebody. But I love what Grantland did. It was long-form writing. It was a bunch of guys that were great writers that wrote a bunch about a bunch of different topics in incredible detail and incredibly interesting. It was stuff that you wanted to read. You loved that it was longer than a lot of stuff that's out there because you could really sink your teeth into it and it, it was a shame to see it go away i'm going to assume that most of the people who are listening to this know what we're talking about but for the sake of background if you're saying what is grantland and what are you talking about grantland was a mixed pop culture sports website that was created by bill simmons who um, was a longtime prolific writer in boston came over to espn i think in the late 1990s started writing what became a very popular column on page two enormously long very prolific writer bill moved up in the ranks because he got a tremendous crowd of people to basically web source his material and he grew into a very powerful force at espn he was one of the creatives of the 30 for 30 series which i think might be the best thing that espn has ever done at least the initial run of films that they had the 30 for 30 films uh he then got a chance to be on the nba countdown show which is a very high profile thing especially for someone who never played the game before and did so as an analyst which is an unusual position to be in his podcast became extraordinarily popular for those of you who are into podcasts you probably are very aware of how popular his show is and then he got to build Grantland, which was kind of his passion play. And it was a website for him to write about what he wanted to write about. And he had a keen eye for talent. He was able to bring in a lot of writers I'd never heard of um, that wrote about a variety of sports and pop culture and television and all sorts of topics. And I am I'm with him on this because he, he basically called this callous and appalling that ESPN would shutter the doors on on Grantland. I don't find a better word than appalling myself for that it is gone um espn made a decision about a few days ago whenever you listen to this about a week ago that they were going to shut down the website of course everyone knows that bill left um acrimoniously from espn they could not come to terms on a new contract and so he has moved on and he's gonna have an hbo show and his podcast and can still be heard And espn you know the barge moves on without one of its stars that's that's commonplace for that company to move on away from a talent 
Um, I'm really sad in particular about Grant Lamb. Clearly, everyone knows um, there have been a lot of layoffs at ESPN, that the business model has changed there. And so the economic climate is different there. And Grant Lamb became one of those casualties. And that's an easy thing to do because while it's above my pay grade to know exactly what was profitable in those spaces, I do know on good authority that Grant Lamb wasn't making money for ESPN. Was it losing a lot of money? Probably not. Was it breaking even? Somewhere around there. Um, But it was not making money. And clearly, if it was Bill Simmons or no Bill Simmons, ESPN would not have made the decision that they made because the suits look at the bottom line, and that's about it with that company. What makes me sad about Grantland leaving um, is that in the same way I feel about art programs in this country, and and I kind of pit ESPN as big government in this particular scenario, scenario, You know, I have a daughter, she's six years old. I would never let her go to a school that did not use the arts in an encouraging manner Um, because my kid thinks creatively. And I'm not delusional to think that she's going to grow up and be Annie Leibovitz or Oprah Winfrey or some kind of famous artist. Maybe she will. But I do know that she learns effectively with the arts, which has been one of the huge fights in this country educationally over arts and what it does for the program overall. And art programs are being cut all over this country in high schools and lower tier schools. And you are hard pressed to find funding for it. That The people who are in charge of budgets, which are tight for particularly public school systems, look at the Common Core. And the Common Core does not include painting or music or acting. No creative thinking. It's our kids need to learn mathematics and language and history and science to keep up with an evolving world market that includes competition from places like India and China. And we all understand that this is the direction we have gone. But it is my belief, and I classify myself in a group as an artist because that's what I've done with my life, that creative thinking is important. And that it fosters an environment of growth and change, and it is a tenet of this country to have artistic ability intertwined with educational learning. ESPN, in my opinion, shuttered Grantland for a lot of reasons. One of them was just financial. They did not want to fund something that didn't have Bill Simmons at the head of it any longer because it wasn't making a lot of money for them. And they looked at it as, what is this bringing to our company? And for me and others who worked and believe ourselves to be artists and not just people reading words out of a box on television every day, go, you have no idea what you just shut down. You just shut down an artistic arm of a company that is, at best, not the most creative place to work. And what Grantland represented to me was the art form of sports journalism at its finest. It opened up an opportunity to do different kind of stories, long-form stories, to get away from the succinct headline USA Today McDonald's-style delivery of sports news to the fan base. It opened up a new realm, and it introduced us to a lot of people that we didn't know that were talented in this field, who were able to write long form about topics that were not being generally discussed on SportsCenter every day, and gave them forms for podcasts to expand on those particular thoughts, and was a home to a lot of the short 30 for 30 films that didn't really merit having an hour and a half dedicated to them on ESPN, but were fantastic viewpoints of people you didn't know anything about in a 10-minute period. This is sad. I mean, this is really sad. And for whatever reasons ESPN has that they wanted to shutter this, I think everyone who feels 
kind of a kinship in not just to reading box scores every day, but likes journalism and enjoys reading creative stories about people ought to be sad today because Grantland's not being replaced by ESPN. It's just gone, and it's not going to be replicated. Maybe someone else like Vice or Yahoo will come along with a website that will be dedicated in this forum, and if this was about Bill Simmons leaving and this was some kind of play against him to try to show the world that that he had no power at ESPN— then shame on them for making a decision like that. Because as he put it, and I thought best, there were a lot of talented people that got callously fired for no reason whatsoever because the product was fantastic. And while it may not have been making a lot of money, and while the school play doesn't make a lot of money for the high school, and the art program doesn't necessarily get you scholarships into Harvard and Yale, it makes for a better environment as a whole for everyone to have art. And Grantland, to me, was art. And I feel sad today that Grantland is gone. That's it, that's incredibly well put. Um, I would I would find it, I'd be hard pressed to to say something more eloquent than you just did there. My my sincere hope is that that Simmons in his new you know reincarnation with HBO or whatever he ends up doing, that he'll find a way to resurrect Grantland in some fashion or another. It obviously won't be identical to what it was under ESPN. But there's so many talented writers, and I know that that they would tend to flock towards Bill, and hopefully there'll be a platform where he can resurrect this on some level because there's too many great writers out there, and there were too many great things that came out of that for me to say, well, that's going to go away forever. So I'm hoping that it comes back in some fashion or another. Listen, artists have lived this forever. We're underpaid and underappreciated, and in this particular case, you know, I I really feel like they were just wronged. Um, You know, ESPN has a massive platform, and ESPN gave Grantland the opportunity to succeed, and on some level, it did. I just hated hearing the reasoning of, well, we're out of the pop culture game, which is one of the quotes I read. No, you're not, actually. I was on SportsCenter a million times, and I interviewed people like Lil Wayne on SportsCenter, and I interviewed actors that came through that were doing sports-related material, and the Kardashians are a story when Lamar Odom is caught in a brothel, or Bruce Jenner changes and becomes Caitlyn. So you're not out of the pop culture business and this website offered an opportunity and an alternative and i thought was a great alternative to the traditional product that espn puts out there listen they are the worldwide leader for very good reasons they cover sports better than anybody else in general but there is a void in creativity within those walls at times that seem to be sufficed on some level by having a thing like Grantland available there. And yeah, it's not a cash cow like SportsCenter or the NBA playoff games, but there's a reason to have a place like that to make the whole culture of the place a better place to be for everybody and for all the fans. It serves no purpose to eliminate something like that, especially if it's not draining the company of money. To eliminate something like that, to me, makes no sense other than it was some kind of petty decision that was made to make some kind of statement about who's in charge in these economic times, and I just think it was a failed statement to make. Yeah, it was sad. I, mean, I, I grew to love a lot of the great writers. I'll just single one out that's off the top of my head. It was Andy Greenwald, who was the great TV critic for Grantland. And, um, yes. I've had him as a guest a number of times. I've, I've had conversations with him off the air for hours upon end just talking about TV. He's, uh, he's a great writer. I, you know, I— 
talent will always find a way to rise up yes. again. And and I and I know that that maybe not collectively everyone will be back together on the same project, but we will see the great voices of Grantland somewhere or another. And and I'm I'm just thankful that I was able that there was a platform, so I was able to get acquainted with these guys. Yeah, uh, there's one other story I want to get to, um, and, and this includes another young writer, and it's for a traditional outlet, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, um, uh, that occurred over the weekend that really caught my eye and your eye because I had I had a minor experience. It's similar to this because I covered a football team, the Redskins, for eight years. But a kid by the name of Michael Cohen, I I, I use kid lightly because he's in his mid twenties. I guess I'm in my forties now, so I get to call people like that. Kids, <laughs> right? Everybody why I just called him a kid. He's a reporter for a major <laughs> newspapers. I don't know why I called him that. Anyway, I'm sorry, Michael, if you heard that. Anyway, <laughs> Michael wrote a story with another writer from the paper about a um, player for the Packers by I believe his name is Latroy Guyon. I believe that's how he pronounces his last name. G-U-I-O-N. He's not a big star player, but he is an integral part of the Packers. And they basically did some reporting that uh, unveiled some previously unreported domestic issues in the background of this particular player, Guyon. And he was, you know, signed by the Packers. And the Packers are a community-owned team, and they kind of live above the fray in general and say, well, we're not going to be the team that goes and signs a guy like Greg Hardy you know, like the Cowboys did, or we're not going to go bring Ray Rice in here. Even if we need a running back, we're just not going to do it based on we try to live kind of above the fray, and we're just not going to, you know, knowingly bring bad people, if you will, into our organization. And in this particular case, the paper is not calling them out for this necessarily, but they are suggesting, listen, the Packers are sometimes no better than everybody else in what can be a very dirty business of bringing in talent when you are putting your morals on the line here. And so he wrote a story and it was well sourced and it basically tells the story of this guy who's playing now. And a lot of this stuff was in his past and and not much has happened here in the recent present with them. So Bob McGinn, who's in the hall of fame and writes for that paper as well has probably covered the Packers for 30 years, witnessed something the other day at Packers practice with this kid, Michael Cohen, who's in his mid twenties, a guy by the name of Rob Davis, who is, uh, whose title is team director of player engagement. And I'll explain what that is in a moment apparently was leering at Cohen throughout the morning practice, the portion they were allowed to watch while Cohen was there either taking attendance or whatever he was doing to to get set for the day and reporting on the team. Davis then, while Cohen wasn't looking, walked over, kind of snuck up next to him, and when Cohen looked up from his pad, noticed that Davis's face was about an inch from his. He'd never met the man before, okay? So Cohen, surprised, stuck his hand out to try to shake it. Davis refused and basically said to him, you don't know me and I don't want to know you. Bullied him. Clearly bullied him. Isn't that how you introduce yourself to everybody, Bram? Yes, that's what I do. I go. <laughs> that's how I introduce myself to women. I go up to them, I get one inch from their face, and I go, I don't want to know you. Right, get away from me. Yeah, get away from me. Oh, this so is so uh, hostile d- from this guy. This, this is awful, right? This is, a, this is a young guy, okay? This is right. probably his first job out of college. This is a major thing to be covering, the Green Bay Packers. You know, right. This is a major historic franchise. It's a big deal that he's doing it. He got bullied by this guy. McGinn, who's not scared of anybody on the team of course goes up to the guy and asks him for a comment about why he did that to his colleague which I appreciate McGinn did Davis basically wouldn't comment on it suggested he wasn't bullying him and even went so far as to say I thought he was someone else so you do this to other people is what you're saying you do that to other people (laughs) right it's you're saying you chronically do that to other people so I thought it was Kim Jong Un I'm sorry yeah sorry yeah my bad yeah I thought (laughs) right 
I thought it was Khloe Kardashian. I had something to say to her. <laughs> you know, like, who did you think that was? Anyway, so right. clearly, like, you know, the coincidence, you know, like, it's such a stupid lie because this story just came out. Right. And let me explain to you what t- uh, team director of player engagement means in this case because this guy's past includes being a bodyguard for Dennis Rodman. Basically, if something happens that nobody should know about but needs to be dealt with, he's the guy you call. He's the wolf. You ever see Pulp Fiction? If you accidentally shoot a kid in the face and you need to dispose of the body, then you call the wolf and the wolf comes in and deals with it. Well, that's who this guy is, okay? He's the wolf. We're not talking about something as dire as that, but if there's a domestic dispute or there's a DUI or there's a traffic thing or there's something happened at a bar and the team doesn't want the press to know about it, the wolf has to go in and handle it so that no one finds out about it. And here's one of these moments that the wolf didn't know about. So the wolf decided to go bully the 25-year-old reporter who happened to be doing his job well. You'd think that, especially from an organization like the Packers, all it really does is show you that they're all that all the football teams are the same, and they're all dealing with the same sort of issues, and they all with the same sort of arrogance that they treat these people with, and and what this guy did to this reporter, it's just inexcusable. And I and I'm I'm really happy as you said that the reporter's colleague, and I don't have the story right in front of me, went up to him and said, "So what the hell were you doing?" Yes, I mean to call him on that. You know, there's just no cause. Listen, now, listen, I've covered a team not nearly as long as you did. I covered the Nationals for a few years, you know, and, and certainly the first time I went in there, and I was older than that, I was probably in my mid-30s, it's pretty intimidating when you walk in there. It and is a, intimidating. It, it, yeah, I mean. And they prof- do intimidate you, okay, yeah. because it is their turf, too, and I get that on some level. They're kind of like, you know, you're a visitor here. Yes. You don't live here. And I understood that, and I understood that there was a line you didn't cross in that regard. Right, and I had players mess with me. I had players get hostile towards me. You know, for nothing that I did, but they just didn't like the media in general. And and you deal with it, but I never had anybody. If somebody had come up to me and done that stuff, I mean, you have two responses. One, just sort of walk away and say, what the hell was that? And two is to punch the guy in the face and be like, what's your problem? Get out of my face. Well, he can't. Like, the 25-year-old kid can't punch the guy in the face. He has to remain respectful. And the best he can do is go to his colleagues and tell people what happened and go to the team and tell them what happened and hope that they actually handle it on some level. Now, you cover the team. You cover the Redskins for eight years. Did, I had run ins all the time. I mean, like, that was, it was commonplace to ever, nothing like that. Nothing where I felt actually literally threatened. Nothing right. like that. But I did have one. I mean, this reminded me of one time in my final season. I was in my eighth year. I had covered the team for a long time. So, I, listen, no one was going to intimidate me. Maybe the first couple of years I was doing it, there were some moments that it happened that I was concerned because they didn't like what I said on the air, reported whatever. And you get right. used to that it's going to be. A not a very nice relationship. It's not cordial. You know, you under, you're not friends with them. It's not cordial. You start to learn that very, very quickly when you're in the locker room that they don't like you. They don't trust you. And they really shouldn't trust you or like right. you for that matter. But like but I had one in my final year where there was a, a guy who had been on the team for the Redskins for, I don't know, like five years. Right. And on this one particular weekend, he was inactive. He played every week. And in this one particular weekend, he was inactive. And the Redskins beat the Lions like 50 to 7 or something. Like they blew them out, right? And, and their defense was awesome. And Greg Williams, who, you know, is famous for the, the 
Bounty Gate stuff down in New Orleans, which I that's another story for another day that I don't really believe he did much wrong there. But anyway, he um, <laughs> I don't know why I'm defending him after a story I'm about to tell you. So <laughs> so anyway, so I went up after the game. You know, we asked him, you know, all the typical questions in the locker room about how they did this, how they did that. The defense was awesome. Obviously, the defense scored a touchdown or something like that. And they held the Lions to seven points. It was just a great day for them. And and at towards the end of this little press conference, I asked because it's my job to ask. I said, why was this guy inactive? Was he hurt? I assumed he was hurt because he didn't play. And he just looked at me and he said, I knew somebody was going to ask some stupid ass question like that of me today. And I have no comment on it. And he walked away. Okay. It was fine. That's, by the way, that's Greg Williams. Greg with two G's, one for You're genius, two G, right? One for genius, right. Yeah. Next day, so Mondays, you know, are the kind of the rehash day. The coach will have a press conference, said he watched the film, all that stuff. I happened to see Greg Williams in the building. And I walked over to him because I had had a really good relationship with the guy up to this point. He had been there for four years at that point. I'd interviewed him a million times. And I went, I never had a problem with him. And I walked over to him and I said, Greg, I'm sorry I asked you about this player. I didn't know that that would cause such a reaction. I didn't think it was a big deal. And he turned to me and he got right in my face and he said, do I look like an asshole to you? And he started basically cursing me out in front of other people, just literally cursing me out. And I said, and I, I turned to him and I'm looking at him going, I can't even understand what this is about. And I even said to him, I go, this can't possibly be about this question. And that's when he unleashed on me that he didn't like my reporting in general, that he decided that he, he, had, he had had enough of hearing me on the radio. He didn't think I was fair in the way I covered the team. And, you know, you have to understand there were a lot of dynamics going on here. Uh, Greg Williams was coming towards the possibility of becoming the head coach, which ultimately did not happen because Joe Gibbs ended up retiring. And so there were a lot of things that were kind of circulating along and that make a lot more sense now about why he would blow up over something completely innocuous like that. But I had a moment like this with a, you know, the type of person who motivates 350 pound men to play really hard and crash into other men of that size and do it at a very high level. So let me trust me, you know, trust me when I tell you as a small little white person that it's frightening when somebody does something like that to you. And I was completely taken off guard and surprised. And we got into it for a while. The team in my station had to intervene at some point because he had cursed me out so badly in front of people that someone had to intervene and say something to me about it. It was crazy. Jesus, that is no, I, <laughs> wow. I, I, I've never had to deal with anything like that. The closest I, I guess I came, you remember a player by the name of Vinny Castilla? Yeah. Yeah, well, this is the first year the Nats were in town, and they signed him, and I was on doing my baseball show saying, oh, my God, why can they say this guy's terrible, he's over the hill, and just crushing him. And so, of course, when the season starts, he hits like seven home runs in April, and he's like on fire. And I went up to him, and I said, hey, you know, you may have heard this, you may have not. I just want to be upfront about this, Vinny. I was uh, criticizing the team's decision to bring you on board, and I just want to say I'm completely wrong. And, and he looks at me, clearly he didn't know he yeah. had heard any of it. And he just looks at me and goes, hey, you talking shit about me? Okay, it's all right, man. You're all right. <laughs> he, just, he, yeah. he just laughed. And we had a big laugh. And I, you know, but but in that kind of thing, like, you don't know who's heard what you've no. said. And, you know, and, and so, like you said, that your question had nothing to do with that. That was just Greg with two G's just being like, I'm going to take you down for other crap. And I'm going to yeah. show you why I'm because I'm going to be the head coach of this team one day. And you're going to have to learn how to live with me. The best was he i'll never forget this part he, he turned to me it was in front of like 
10 people saw this. He turned to me and he goes, do I look like I have the word A-S-S-H-O-L-E written on my forehead? And I went, no. No, you don't. But let me <laughs> no, double check don't. real quick. Yeah, Jesus. And that's... then, like, then you know, at that point, like, the people who were around were literally trying to walk out of the room because they were like, I don't even want to see what's going to happen next. And right. I, was, I was so shocked because it was like over the most innocuous thing. It's like if you get into a fight with your wife, you know, oh, over yeah. like a tube of toothpaste and you're like, <laughs> why are we angry about this? And then you find out, well, she hates you because of all these other things that have occurred. And that was just the breaking point was you don't do the toothpaste correctly. <laughs> Right. That's what it was. Son of a bitch. I hope you die. What? It's a toothpaste. What are we doing? You know what this is really about. (laughs) You're like, no, I don't. Why are you angry? Coming up here in a second, I'm nervous that I'm going to really piss off this Rob Davis guy because we need to talk about how fat Eddie Lacey is. Sports fulfill an important tribalistic element of human nature surrounded by your fellow fans draped in your home colors, urging the side forward with one full voice. There's really no other place in our society that conjures these old passions. The next time you head back to the Coliseum to join with your tribe, do it with the SeatGeek app. And when you use my code TALKING, you get a check back for 20 bucks. Here's how it works. Download the SeatGeek app on your iPhone or Android. It's free. It takes less than a minute to download. Then you search for your event, find a great deal, enter our code TALKING. And when you complete your purchase, SeatGeek will send you $20 to your house. It's that easy. They pull ticket options from hundreds of sellers online. They show you the best deals automatically. They have a feature called Deal Score. It ranks every ticket on the market. And a value score plots the best deals on a color-coded map of the venue. SeatGeek's mobile app makes ticket buying easy, seamless, and safe. On SeatGeek, you can store your credit card. And once you find your ticket you want to buy, you can make the purchase with two quick taps on your phone. So to redeem your promo code, and get your $20 check. Download the free SeatGeek app today. Enter promo code TALKING in the app. SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. And welcome back to Talking Heads. Bram Weinstein in Connecticut, Mark Stern in Washington, D.C. So uh, I'm, while I'm nervous about talking about the Packers, now that I know they intimidate reporters, hey. bring it on, Rob Davis. Not that I'm ever going back to Green Bay anytime <laughs> soon, so I'll probably never see you anyway. Um, there's a great story. Uh, Eddie Lacy is a very good running back. He was like a second-round pick of the Packers a few years ago. He's the focal point running back for a very, very good offense. And it is clear by anybody's estimation, if you just look at a picture of him, that he is fat. Okay, he is definitely overweight. There is no, there is no, no shred of a doubt that the guy has a stomach on him, like a gut. You know, like there's just no way around it. He has got a beer gut on him, and it's very unusual to see an NFL player at a skill position look this way, but he claims he's not fat. And I guess someone, maybe it was the same guy who got into Rob Davis's face, <laughs> went up to him and was like, hey, are you fat? You know, and had him actually <laughs> answer the questions. All right. And he went on and on and on about how I'm not fat, and everyone here doesn't think I'm fat, and you're wrong. Yeah, except when you look at the pictures and you're like, it does appear as if you have a little bit of a gut there and uh, it's just so great it's like when uh, I forget who was it you guys talked into asking Norv if he was going to get fired I mean some of the 
<laughs> Jody Foldesey. Jody, you, yes. Jody. Get... I shouldn't have said his name. Jody Hose. <laughs> I can't. That was the best. North to my first year, we were like, we knew North was going to get fired because they were like, they, you know, they they just signed all these guys, Deion Sanders and Bruce Smith, and they were like six and eight or something. And we we're like, and somebody had to ask North, and this guy said, Are you going to get fired in the press conference? And North was like, Hey, you asked the wrong guy. That was the I've ever heard. <laughs> but it's so hard. You're like, do I do I really have to ask this? Should I ask this? I mean, it's it's right up there. You're gonna get fired. Are you fat? I mean, you know that you. <laughs> he is fat though. He, he is. is fat. I mean, like that's a, why would you? Why is it inappropriate to ask a running back, a running back of an NFL team? You know, you're looking pretty portly there, dude. Like, is it okay if I ask you why you're yeah. so fat? Well, this is, you know, this actually surfaced in spring training with the Red Sox when some pictures of Pablo Sandoval popped up in spring training. And everyone's like, yeah, that guy's fat, yeah, too. Like, you He's look fat. fat. And they're like, no, it's just the angle that the picture was taken <laughs> at. And it's like, I'm in great shape. It's like, yeah, you look kind of like you're a big tub of goat. Yeah, the camera puts on 10 <laughs> pounds, you know, just the camera. <laughs> Just yeah. So yeah, I, I've never asked. I don't think, you know, it's. I don't think I'd ever be able to ask somebody that. So are you really fat? Is it just me? You look fat. Here's another question I want to ask. I'm going to ask you this. Okay. Okay. Did the Mets choke? Yes. Yes, yes they, they did. Right. Well, yes, they did. Okay. Why can't yes, people say did. that? They did. Yes, they did. They okay. They should have won the World Series. Of course, okay? they should have won should, the World Series. They were they were two outs away in Game One. They were like five or six outs away. I think it was in Game Three. And then you know they were they were another few outs away. And I guess they won Game Three. But they, they were like a few outs away from winning all four of those games that they lost. It was unbelievable to me. They made ridiculous errors. They made mental mistakes. And when the moment was big. They came up short. Now, that's not taking anything away from the Kansas City Royals. The Mets did choke, but the Royals kept putting the pressure on them to make the, to, you know, to sort of put them in a situation. If they didn't they... commit errors in the ninth inning of the last couple of games, they would have won those games. That yeah. is, that qualifies as a choke. That is, that is the epitome of a choke. To me, it does. You know, they, they, they just made errors. And I tell you, it's funny to me. We talked about this a week ago. Um, about Daniel Murphy and how he was, like, you know, done stuff that no one had ever done in the postseason. I mean, Babe Ruth, Barry Bonds, nobody. Mickey Mantle, he had done stuff that no one had done, and he completely disappeared in the World Series yeah, and yeah. made a critical error that yes. cost them game four. And, you know, in Cespedes, who was – there was talk of you know, him being the National League MVP, even though he joined the team in, like, June or July – and he completely disappeared. And his mental error in Game 4, well, it cost him a chance to at least tie that thing up when he's, like, just drifted off first base and gets doubled off after the line drive. So, you know, it's, it was – if you're a Mets fan, you're taking a long look into a blank TV screen right now saying, what just happened? That's what I think. But you know what? And this, is, I thought, was put – this is the epitome of where I think everyone's thinking is. And it was the most ridiculous way to put it, and that's why I think it's funny. But Frank Thomas was on Fox mm-hmm. after the World Series. Frank Thomas, the, the big hurt, great Chicago White Sox slugger, right? And he goes on TV, and he says, this is a quote, the Mets have nothing to hang their head about except they didn't play well in the World Series. Well, that- Are you kidding? <laughs> what does that like, even mean? What is that like? What do you mean? See, this is what I think it means, and this is where I think the this is where I think everyone's head is on this. No one thought they would get there, 
So the fact that they got there right. seems to somehow excuse the fact that they completely choked three of the games away. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's, well, like, what does that have to do with it? Like, but they are there, and like everyone is sitting there going, Eric Hosmer made a great base running play. Not if Lucas Duda actually put the ball anywhere near the plate. He's out by four feet, yeah. and they win that game. It, it never is tied. Like, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. It's like, those guys, they deserve a round of applause for just getting there. No one thought they'd be this good this year. Yeah, they choked three games of the World Series away. Not one, yeah. three of them. It's, it's amazing. I never I never buy into that when we're playing with house money. You know, we made it farther than anyone thought we would, and this is just is all gravy right now. No, it's not. Now we're in a position to win games one, game four, and five, and you choke them all away late. You may games never you have this chance again, ever in your life, and they choked it away. Right, and that's the thing. Now, they're loaded. They Well, they're loaded pitching-wise. They've got, I mean, with Harvey, DeGrom, and Syndergaard, They've got three young studs, and maybe they're like another version of the Braves, and you know they're going to contend for a while. But you never know; nothing is promised. And yeah, so, you know who else we said that about? The Nationals, right? Where are they right now? Right? You think? Oh, well, oh, they oh they just got they just went and got Max Scherzer to go with Jordan Zimmerman and Steven Strasburg. They didn't make the playoffs this year. Yeah, no, exactly. You, nothing is promised, and when you get in that position. Well, you got to win four of seven to get the title. You know, there's no like, hey, great, great effort, guys. We're going to give you a participation trophy. No, man, you got to. That's that's I mean, that's why you're there and you got to come up big in those moments. Or at the very least, you can't throw up all over yourself, which they they did. did. Yeah, they did. They threw up all over themselves in three games, two of them at home. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't even get it. Like this idea that they didn't choke is astounding to me that that's even discussed on any level that they didn't choke. That was one of the biggest chokes I've ever seen. Game one was a huge choke and the last two games were enormous chokes. What Hosmer did, I thought was a huge calculated risk to tie the game in the ninth, to take off on that play on an infield. It was. infield. It's a huge calculated risk to do it. He should have been out by a mile, but I understand why he did it because he figures well, the next guy's going to have to get a hit for me to score. There's right. no other way. So why not? I'll take a chance. And it was, a, listen, it was a gutsy thing to do, and I appreciate why he did it. I understand why he did it. But if the Mets made an actual major league play, an easy throw home from first base, he is out by a mile. Yeah, and Lucas Duda threw that in the eighth row. Right. I mean, that was – I was watching Hosmer out of the corner of my eye because you're like, all right, he's got to check the runner. And he did sort of go back, and you're like, all right, this is – you know, we're going to have two outs run on third and you're like oh my god he's going and I mean that's what the Royals do they constantly put the pressure on you're like hey we know that this is a risky play but we're going to force you to make the throw and make the play and like you said Duda was just like oh wow I gotta throw this now and it was nowhere close and if he just gotten on target right it's he's out and the game is over and we've got you know game six back in Kansas City and Murphy commits a Buckner error. Yeah, he does. Really does. You know, I, I, granted, I, I, I get it. He was Babe Ruth for three weeks, and that's awesome. But again, like because the expectations were so low, 
No one's going to remind him of this for the rest of his life. No one's going to remind this team of this for the rest of their lives. You know, no one's going to remind Matt Harvey, who was incredible okay, last night, until the ninth inning. No one's going to remind the manager that he, you know, made some bad decisions towards the end. And the team didn't execute at critical junctures. Like, it's amazing. It was one of the classic chokes that people weren't calling a choke. I find that amazing. As far as Kansas City goes, I want to say this for them. Um, they just, what they've done over the past few weeks... Um, I, I don't think there's anybody who lives there and follows that team that can't now be basically on scholarship for the rest of their lives. Because oh, yeah. whatever they did, whatever they do from here forward will never be as good as this ever, 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 ever. This is how you make fans for life, because if you are alive and will have old enough to remember what happened in this fall for them. You can never turn your back on that team because what they did in terms of their comebacks in the first series against Houston, weren't they down two games to none? Weren't they dead to rights? Yes. In like game four, they were down yes, like seven were. to two or something like yeah, that. And, like, and everyone was talking about Houston being the, this year's Kansas City. Yeah. And, and they came back and won that series. And then they beat Toronto, who went completely all in with Price and Tulowitzki and, and beat them. And then they go and not only win these games against the Mets, they do it in such dramatic fashion, every single one of them. Yeah, it's tremendous. That, like, I mean, there is nothing that this team will ever do again that will top this, but for the rest of your life, you could be proud to say you're a Royals fan because you had one of the most amazing October runs that anybody has ever had. I'm going to tell you something right now, and you're going to be very disturbed that I know this information, but this is, this is sometimes when I'm on the Internet, I look at strange things, and I'm not talking about pornography. I was looking at attendance numbers for baseball teams throughout the years. I just was I wanted to see sort of like, you know, was was it popular back in the 60s as it is now? And I was just looking at numbers and I looked at the Red Sox numbers in the 1960s and they were average on around like 600, 700,000 until 1967. The impossible dream. And then they were well over a million. They were like it was like upwards of a, you know, I want to say 1.7 or 1.8 million people. And that carried over for like the next five years. Even though they weren't in the playoffs and they weren't contending like that 67 team had done. So it's like you said, yes. this this is going to have an impact for years for that fan base. People will wrap their arms around this team and hold on, and and it, it's huge. I mean, for what they did, and the, and this fan base, it's you know you could all do the whole thing. Oh yeah, Kansas City, it's great fans. I mean, listen, it is a great baseball town, and you know they're going to be very happy with that team for a while. And whether the team wins or loses, people are going to go there and cheer them on, and that's what they accomplished through this. Yes, they did. Like, we lived in Washington. John Riggins is a cult figure there yes. because he, you know, he scored on a fourth and one play in the Super Bowl that was the game-winning touchdown that was the first Super Bowl championship for the Washington Redskins. Changed and the guy's everything. been on scholarship for the rest of his life. Eric Hosmer is going to be that in Kansas City for the rest of his life. Mike mm -hmm. Moustakas is going to be that in Kansas City for the rest of his life. Those guys are going to be that way for the rest of their lives because what they just did over the last few weeks will never be replicated by anybody else. Nobody's going to be able to do that. Maybe Kansas City will win again, but they'll never do it the way they just did it. I mean, to, to achieve that kind of excitement, and a lot of that has nothing to do with them trying to do that. It just worked out that way. But to have the wherewithal to come back in every single one of those games and the way that they came back and the way that they won, those guys will never have to work another day in their lives. Ever. They will never have they will never have to pay for a meal in Kansas City ever, ever, ever again. It was really an amazing run.
The NFL regular season is halfway done. I cannot believe that. In the old days, your chance to play fantasy football was long gone, but now not only can you join thousands of leagues on FanDuel, they cost as little as a buck to enter, and you can cash out on the very same night that you win. Now when you use my code TALKING at FanDuel.com for a bonus match of up to $200. FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football. They're going to pay out $75 million a week this year. There's over 1 million players who have won money on FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com, click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner, use the code TALKING, and sign up now. Here's that special offer for new users. For every dollar you deposit, FanDuel will match it with up to 200 bucks to get you earned as you play. That's a bonus of up to $200. The offer is only good for the first 50 people that use the code TALKING today, so don't get left out. FanDuel also offers daily fantasy baseball, basketball, and hockey. Find out why daily fantasy sports have gotten so popular and do it on FanDuel.com with our code talking fanduel.com where every day is a new season that's f-a-n-d-u-e-l.com try it out today we talked about the bombshell of grantland being dissolved on this podcast that is the topic for maggie gray as well as she invited the si media columnist richard deitch onto her podcast the gray area to break down the motivations and implications of this move that's the gray area with maggie gray search for it on itunes stitcher or visit si.com uh backslash Podcast and welcome back to Talking Ads, Bram Weinstein, Mark Stern. Um, I want to get into one final story here today, and that is a love story that occurred on a uh, Big Ten blog, which is really <laughs> remarkable. Do, hold, on, hold on, just say that again: a love story that occurred on a Big Ten blog. Yes, and it is um, even more amazing. It's a man and a woman. I, I just really cannot <laughs> believe that this happened, but it is true. Um, and so, you know, maybe not all of the internet uh, things that have occurred at ESPN are all that bad. We have a love connection that is cannot is, is practically unbelievable that it occurred. Um, a girl by the name of Kate, who goes by Blue Girl 04, and a guy by the name of Brandon, who goes by AA Wolf, are huge Michigan fans. Um, they have been apparently commenting on a very popular ESPN Big Ten football blog for a number of years. And then flirting began between the two of them. And eventually that led to a meet and they got together and they fell in love. And last weekend they got married. (laughs) Okay. So two people on a comment section of a football blog got married. Screw you (laughs) match.com. Yeah. How you like that tender? Um, Yeah. That is easily the most bizarre courtship story I've ever heard. And I will give everyone that was, when you read the story, everyone was self-aware enough, no, because they're referencing Manti Teo yes. and Lene Cacao or whatever her name was. They're like, throughout it, they're like, are you sure it's not a dude? Are you sure this isn't being, you know, you're not being catfished? Because Wait, that was na- dad, that was dad of the, of the group. Dad of the groom was like, hey man, Manti Teo got <laughs> catfished, dude. You better watch out. You better make sure this is actually a woman. Right. Well, now see- you're married to a lovely woman and you know you're out of the dating world and you have to thank god every single day for that because i'm do. i'm still in the dating world which is just really pathetic and awful <laughs> and, and you know you meet friends who you know you meet through friends or whatever or sometimes you meet people on on online and i I've, I've done some of these sites i've done match.com i've done okcupid and when you actually decide to meet up with one of these people in the back of your head you're thinking this is this is some catfish thing, you know, or are they going to look what they, they they say they look like? You know, is it, is it, is going to be a dude? You know, am I going to get, you know, am I going to wake up in a bathtub with my kidney missing or, or what? <laughs> and you never know. And I will say this, for this dude, whatever his name is, the Michigan fan, 
the girl he's hitting up with, she's actually really, really attractive. Okay, this like flies in the face of everything that goes on on the internet. So he yeah. hits a home run. And by the way, seems a little bit too obsessed with Michigan. But I guess you know that's what they share in common. But they were talking about how the Michigan, the botched. Uh, punt the other day was like a week before they were going to get married and they're like we hope this doesn't ruin the ceremony I'm like you guys are completely insane so maybe yeah. you guys should be together but yeah I, it's- l- l- this guy this guy hit the jackpot I mean really I mean not she's hot and way into football like for like for real into football like reads the Big Ten blog I mean that's that's absurd that she even reads something like that and by the way everybody in those comment sections are trolling everybody the right. fact that they were able to find each other like this and make it work is insane to me right yeah typically the the guy's handle is like at Brady Hoke is a fat dick you know <laughs> and he writes I'm gonna murder somebody from Michigan State tomorrow and then I'm gonna uh, urinate on their grave you know and that's like that's the typical comment that you get in something like that these two are kind of like yeah I don't know about our fourth string guard you know I, I'm really not so sure about it and then she's like you're right A.A. Wolf, you're so right. We should have drinks sometime. And he's probably like, we should have drinks sometime. Yeah. Now, okay, if I do this, if if this is me and I meet some, you know, somebody on a Red Sox chat board or something like that. Run, run. Well, yeah, (laughs) it's going to be way more. They're normal people in Michigan. They're Boston girls. Watch out. Yeah. And and by the way, it wouldn't be a girl. It would be a dude named Sully. He'd be like, yeah, sorry, dude. I know I'm a I know I'm another dude. But man, let's just hang out and have drinks and talk about the Red Sox. That'll be great. Yeah, I just thought it was funny to be Manny's girlfriend. <laughs> and by the way, who does that? We, I mean, I, we don't have time for it. But I mean, who's on the internet trying to pretending to be a girl just to know. mess with somebody? That's like the know. most. It's so and, evil and to, and to mess with other, you know, commenters. And typically, the comments uh, aren't pretty. So it's no, like they're you're, terrible. You're, yeah, it's like you're you're a horrible person because that's what you write publicly because that's written publicly. And now you've got someone who's messing with you is pretending to be a woman to try to see if you have any level of affection in your body. It's just <laughs> it's so weird. Good I for swear. them. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, you know what? Good for them. Good for them. Yeah, it actually it's weird. And I want to check back in with them in 5, 10, 15, 20 years just to see how they're doing. But you know what? They beat the odds already and good for them. You know, Jim Harbaugh should have gone to their wedding. He absolutely should have. Or Tom Brady or somebody should have been the there. The best man's name was actually Tom Brady, but it wasn't that Tom Brady. Well, a guy, an actual guy named Tom Brady, yes. Yes. But so I mean, I'm... like, I mean, at least like Denard Robinson or somebody should have gone to that wedding. Somebody yeah. needed to go to that wedding and not Adam Rittenberg, who writes the blog. And I really, like, <laughs> needed somebody. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's probably like, wow, who knew that people would get horny reading this? You know, like, <laughs> Illinois needs a new football coach. Man, I got to find me a woman. (laughs) (laughs) That third third down play in the second quarter. Man, that had me hot. Yeah, Every time you mentioned Purdue, I just have to take my pants off. (laughs) I guess I got to move to Michigan. I guess that's what what the deal is. You've been on the wrong sites. Get on that Big Ten blog. (laughs) Time time for you to become a big Terps fan. Right, yeah. Hey, everybody. Yeah. Great game by Maryland. Who wants to have a drink? Who wants to have sex? <laughs> Randy Edsel sucks. Who wants to do it? <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah, you know what? Well, now I have Terps homework for week. 43. <laughs> yeah. I hate Edsel. Come on, suck it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on over to my place later. <laughs>
<laughs> we can talk about how much Iowa sucks. <laughs> oh, God bless them, though. God oh, yeah. bless Good them. Good for them. Good for you. Where's the, where's their honeymoon at? Like uh, Iowa City? Yeah. <laughs> Where are they going on their honeymoon? Where are they going? Yeah, I think it's in Indiana. I think we're going game. to East Lansing. <laughs> yeah. Woo! 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 Yeah. All right. Uh, Have fun great. with that. All right. I gotta let you go. Right. Yeah. All right. Bye. <laughs>